when I was uh, first told that I'd be speaking on Abraham, I thought, well, Abraham, minor story, yeah, right. It's uh, <laughs> not exactly a small story. Probably one of the biggest characters in the Old Testament. Um, yeah, he's not one of those minor prophets that you can't pronounce or even spell. Uh, he's, he's very well known, the father of the Jewish nation, chosen by God to lead his people and told that he'll have countless descendants and oblivious blessings throughout the whole earth to every tribe, every nation, nation and every age. Um, you'll be pleased to know, because you know, the time moves on quite quickly, that I'm not going to be giving the whole story of Abraham today. Uh, we are just picking on one story, and that story is when God asked him to sacrifice his long-awaited son, Isaac. It always sounds funny when I start to talk about Isaac, because my grandson's Isaac, so <laughs> it always sounds a bit strange reading his name. Um, so he was the one... Uh, to be the first in a long line of descendants leading right the way through to Jesus. Again, it's hardly a minor story, is it? It's a big story. But the further you look into it, and the more we grasp the challenges it presents, and the more we let that impact how we live, then we realise the impact of that. So we've taken a slightly different look, perhaps, um, to what we may normally do when you're looking at Abraham and Isaac. But Abraham held his faith tight. He held everything else loosely. And so I've subtitled my talk, Loosely Held, More Easily Given. So just now we we heard about Pete's faith story, and we've all got our own faith story. We've all faced different things in our lives, done different things in our lives, had different things come up. But if we look look at those things... They're opportunities as well to build our relationship with God. That's what Pete was saying, how his faith grew. God can use those things to help us to grow. And in Pete's words, you know, we are on a journey, aren't we? Maybe you'd like to share your journey sometime, as Pete did. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I've got a story that you know, I could share with people and let them know. And if you have, then, then talk to me, talk to Norbert, talk to one of the leaders, because it is good to actually get to know each other uh, and it encourages as well. I learned things about Pete that I didn't know. Anyway, back to Abraham. Um, Abraham, as Trevor said, didn't always get things right. He messed up a few times. Uh, Notably, he lied a couple of times about Sarah being his wife because he feared for his own life, uh, believing he'd be killed uh, if the king wanted to take her. And together with Sarah, he tried to help God fulfil his promise by having a child with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, rather than waiting for God's timing uh, in bringing Isaac. Isaac, of course, was uh, born when naturally it wouldn't be possible. I heard it said once that Sarah must have been queuing up at the post office to get her child benefit as well as her pension. Not very often that that happens. Not that it happens much nowadays at all, but but, uh, I didn't have bank accounts then. Um, So we're going to have a look at Genesis 22. In the NIV, it's called Abraham's Testing. Um, Time is short. I'm going to read it a little bit quickly uh, because it is a familiar story and there's no difficult names either. Um, So I'll just move it through quickly so that we remember, remind ourselves of the story overall. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
sacrifice for him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Quite a lot of words there, but I say it's it's a familiar story, isn't it? I mean, when you first read the story through, it's difficult. We know the promise that God gave to Abraham, and finally, as an old man of more than a hundred, he had that long-awaited delight of Isaac, the promised son. The hope not only of a Jewish people, but also through whom all the nations would be blessed. So, how could a loving God, a good God, ask an obedient and faithful man to put his son to death on an altar? It's bad enough to hear that his son's going to die. It must have been beyond to belief that he would have to kill him. Added to that, of course, they've got the pagan nations. They were often condemned by God for child sacrifice. Could God really be asking to do such a thing? Of course, we know the end from the beginning, but you've got to try and walk that story through from the beginning, step by step. Abraham didn't know him from the beginning, but he did know God. He knew that God doesn't change, and that if he made a promise, then he's going to stand by it. He wouldn't move the goalposts. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, in fact, not much of a scholar at all, to be honest, but I'm told that the original word for testing, the Hebrew word, is nasa, which has a sense of testing to prove the quality of something, usually by putting it to a trial of some sort. 
So God wanted to prove the validity or the authenticity of Abraham's faith. Not for God to see whether Abraham would stick by him, but for Abraham to prove to himself the strength of his own faith. There are many who can testify how during difficult times their faith in God's grown and not diminished. And we often refer to those, don't we, as testing times. And they are. But like Abraham, it's not always testing to see if we'll fail, rather to prove to us that we won't, that we can grow and that we can get stronger through them. But it's also true to add the other side that sometimes through difficult times people don't grow. They find it hard and they walk away. We must never judge. None of us know what's going on in someone's life. We just learn about people. Things we probably didn't know. I certainly didn't. There have been times when I've spoken with people about particular situations that they're going through only to find that actually that situation is just the tip of the iceberg. Or another analogy, the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back. On its own, they could have probably coped. But together with everything else that's going on, they don't. So what are some of the things that might cause us to fail? I'm just going to briefly suggest four things. And they all come under one heading. Holding on too tight. We've got to learn to hold things loosely. If we hold anything too tight, then it's probably got more of a hold on us than we do of it. So firstly, our possessions. That includes anything that's got a price tag. Things we buy, things we're given, things we inherit. Not necessarily of great monetary value, maybe sentimental value. But let's be careful not to get too attached to those things. It's good to remember that when God made the world, he made everything for man to enjoy. He made things first, and then made man to enjoy everything. I remember years ago, one of my pastors had a fire in his home and the whole lot was burned down, literally, everything went. Of course they were upset. But I remember his wife saying that at the end of the day they were just things. And she lived by that. Let's enjoy the things God gives us, but let's not hold them too tight. In our positions, I'm not going for four Ps, don't worry. But our position, so often we identify ourselves with our job or our profession. Now most of us here are retired, but sometimes we still identify ourselves, don't we, by what we did. That's not actually who we are. I remember a long time ago, I had a manager who started an apprentice at Ford, he ended up as vice president uh, of the company worldwide. But he was telling me how he did a 25 year presentation long service award to someone who started with the company when the factory had opened. For 25 years, that person had driven the factory floor sweeping machine. He'd had no other job. And my manager asked him, well, how could you do that for so long? And his answer was literally, I come to work to live. I don't live to work. My life is outside of here, he said. I'm a counsellor. I volunteer at my local school. I give what I can to various charities. That's how he lived. It made my manager think. He talks about it quite a lot. And he said that he wished that he could be like that man. 
Many who lose their jobs struggle financially, of course, but that's only part of their stress. Our identity can become so entwined with our vocation, and so if we lose our job, we can lose our identity. And then there are our dreams. Well, Abraham was being asked to sacrifice Isaac, wasn't he? Was he being challenged to give up his dreams? The death of a long-held dream, a long-awaited reality. It can be devastating if, if we lose our dreams. What you've been working toward for so long, been pouring your energy into, and then suddenly it's gone. As we pursue our dreams like anything else, we do need to hold them loosely. And our relationships, probably the most difficult area for us to hold loosely because we're made for relationship, whether it be children or family members, extended family, lifelong friends. I mean, romances and marriages can fail, work colleagues can move on, people die, and of course people develop new relationships which changes our relationships with them. Whatever it is, we need to hold on loosely and in faith. It's much more painful when you think about it if God has to pry those things out of our grasped hands than if we're holding them loosely and then we give them up when or if God asks us to. So going back to Abraham, well, he held all things loosely so that he was ready to let go and to trust God. Isaac was being asked to be offered as a burnt offering and a burnt offering is a complete offering not a partial offering. With some of the offerings in the Old Testament, the worshipper was able to join in that offering, to eat a part of the offering, to join in that celebration. But not the burnt offering. That was a total sacrifice. Abraham therefore had to act wholeheartedly, completely, without question. He was being asked to give up a family relationship and a dream, which he also understood to be God's dream. So Abraham's faith was strong. What does he say to his servants in verse 5? We will go and we will return. And then it says in Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham knew three things. Isaac was the vehicle of God's promise. And so he must live. God always keeps his promises. And God's power is absolute even over death. It's interesting, actually, there's no record of any questioning that's uh, with Sarah or anything like that. It just says that he got on and did it. There's no record of an awkward conversation. Abraham took the wood, he put it on Isaac, he took the fire in his hand together with a knife and the two of them walked off together. Now, Isaac is often... Uh, portrayed as a young boy, but he's not. He's going to be at least mid-teens when, when you work it out. He's more than able to overcome his 100-year-old dad if he wanted to. 
And so he asked a question which basically goes along the lines of, I get it so far, I've carried the wood, you've got the knife, but where's the lamb? Haven't you forgotten something? Abraham was confident that God would provide, but must have been wondering when, whilst Isaac must have been wondering how, uh, and perhaps whether it will be in time. So they go up the mountain together, I guess there must have been periods of silence, perhaps a bit of doubt or concern. Abraham knew that he was doing God's will. He was sure that God would be with them and he was reassuring Isaac. It's up to God to work out the details. That's an important lesson of faith for us too. So it's a familiar story. I'm not going to go much more through the story. We've read of the rest of what's happened. Isaac didn't die. God provided a ram at the very last moment, just as Abraham raised the knife. Abraham's faith had been shown to be strong. He was confident in God. And we have to ask ourselves how loosely we hold on to things. How strongly we would stand if we faced the same sort of test as Abraham. And even if we face lesser tests too. Will our faith grow? Or will we crumble? There's a few more things to, to bring out about uh, just before we leave the story. So we read in verse 2 that God said, go to the region of Moriah. It's an important region in the Bible. In Abraham's time, it was a wilderness. But a thousand years later, King David established the city of Jerusalem. And his son Solomon built the first Jewish temple there. Now these verses, just up here, are brilliant for reference. I'm going to read them directly, but just to refer to them. But they say that after Abraham sacrificed the ram that God had provided, Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide. And then when Moses was writing the account in Genesis, it was Moses that wrote Genesis, he said, to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. But the ram's already been sacrificed. So surely they should be past tense. Not so, because Moses and Abraham are both looking forward. God had done great things there that day but greater things were to come. So this is where the story really moves up a level, from the testing of Abraham's faithfulness to the prophetic. We know that Jesus is known as the Son of God. He's also known as the Son of Man, and also the Lamb of God. And in the last reference here, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was at the beginning of Jesus' life. Now just go to the end of Jesus' life. His arrest, his trial, his sentencing, his death, all happened in and around Jerusalem, built on Mount Moriah. God put all this together. An event in Abraham's time pointing to an event 2,000 years later that would change the world. The detail actually is remarkable when you compare 
Isaac and Jesus. And I'm just going to flick through these. I'm not going to go through them in detail. But both fulfilled promises. Isaac, the long-promised son to Abraham. Jesus, the long-promised Messiah and Son of God. Both were only sons. God said to Abraham, your son, your only son, whom you love, and to Jesus, my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Both had a miraculous birth. Both conceptions and births were pre-announced. Both were named before their birth. Both were mocked and persecuted by their kindred. And both were undeserving of their sacrificial death. They were sacrificed near the same place. They each had a three-day experience. Both were accompanied by two men. Both carried their own wood. Both submitted to their father. They each asked a question of their father. And both were brought back from the dead. Isaac figuratively and Jesus actually. God put all this together. The story of Abraham and Isaac was given to show God's plan of salvation through sacrificing his son, Jesus, for us. So that on the cross, Jesus became what we were so that we might have what he is. So I'll just finish with three points. God the Father showed us how to live when he released his only son to us. He actually released him, of course, nine months before he arrived in Bethlehem. He would mature, he'd learn, he'd minister, suffer, and ultimately die before he was raised again. If the Father was willing to release his own son to us, then what could be more precious that we have that we would withhold from him? We need to hold our things loosely. And then God the Son showed us how to die when he released himself to the Father. Isaac's quiet obedience to his father shows that well. He gave himself over to his father without a fight. He submitted. Exactly what Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, did at Calvary. We need not fear death. And then God the Holy Spirit will show us how to live and die as we learn how to turn everything over to him. Because if we hold things too tightly, we're never going to be given given over completely to the Holy Spirit. I wonder how the relationship between Isaac and Abraham changed that day. What was the impact on Isaac of seeing and experiencing his father's faith? Which just leaves one last question for us. Looking at this story again this morning, albeit briefly, and realising the lengths to which God the Father and the Son went to for each of us, we have to ask that question, how would that change the relationship between us and God going forward? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hold each one of us. We thank you that you walk with each one of us. We thank you, Father, that you have the promise of sending your Spirit to be with each one of us. Father, help us to to hold things loosely. Help us to surrender things to you. Help us, Lord, to follow in the way that you have for us. We all have a, a journey to go on. May we be so aware of your presence with us and help us to walk it, Lord, with you as our guide.
In Jesus' name. Amen.